As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. The Athletic. This is Talk of the Devils, the Athletics podcast dedicated to Manchester United. I'm Ian Irving and with us today again are Andy Mitten and Laurie Whitwell. This is the first time that we've spoken, of course, since Manchester United's fateful Champions League exit to Atletico Madrid. We'll get an update on our thoughts on that. We're going to be talking about the race for the top four, about the international call-ups or lack of them. And we'll also be doing a stock check on Manchester United's squad, looking this podcast at the defensive positions in the team and giving them a rating. And we might even talk about something at the end that we never thought would actually happen. Okay, we're all back home after the podcast last time out. Andy and Laurie, of course, were at Old Trafford. I was down in London. Have we left the house since? It's been a bit depressing, Andy, hasn't it, really? Yeah, it's been depressing, especially as all the teams who you consider to be Manchester United's main rivals keep on winning. And I put a tweet out yesterday, City, Chelsea, Liverpool, all in the semi-finals at the FA Cup, still in the Champions League, one, two and three in the Premier League. And that magnifies Manchester United's failures even more because those four teams uh, have spent the most money in the, over the last five years, over the last 10 years. And you just seem like the, the, the team who you could accuse of failing, Arsenal, they're coming good. And yeah, it's, it's it's been a bad week to be a Manchester United fan, and the fact that there's no no games for so long means that the mood's got very little reason to pick up off the floor. The season's effectively over. I'm sure people will try and drum up some noise about the race for the top four, the race for the next manager. But nah, excuse me for being a little bit skeptical about it all. Yeah, it's not a great weekend, really, Laurie, was it for a Manchester United fan? First on Friday, watching the Champions League draw and not being a part of that. Then the weekend comes, like Andy says, City, Liverpool, Chelsea, all in to the semi-finals of the FA Cup. Even Arsenal and Spurs both winning in the Premier League as well. Any sort of sense of race for the top four that Andy just referred to then has got a little bit more difficult as well. I mean, wake me up when it all comes back. We've still got 10 days to go. Yeah, I did watch the Arsenal-Aston Villa game and I was you know, quite impressed with Arsenal really in terms of the collective unity that they put on. They, they really deserve to win that game uh, and the, the celebrations at the end, I think people can perhaps mock them for 
you know, going overboard, but equally it was a major moment for them winning a game away and kind of taking control of that top four race. Um, and Spurs against West Ham, they look good as well. I know United obviously beat them not too long ago and they, they can be patchy Spurs, but clearly they've got goals in them with Kane and Son in, in good form. So yeah, it's going to be a real difficult one for United to get into that top four. I took myself away from football a little bit though this weekend, went to Stockport's Produce Hall on Friday night, had a 10k run on Sunday around <laughs> Wilmslow. So I got out and about and, and thought, listen, let's get away from football a little bit. I went to my mum's and had a roast dinner. It's the first roast dinner around my mum's since um, before COVID, I think. It's been absolutely ages. Fantastic. And just to taste her roast potatoes again was sweet. I mean, I know what Andy would have been doing over the weekend. You'd have been marvelling over Rodrigo Benson because he's finally had a good game for Spurs, Andy, hasn't he? <laughs> just rub it in even more, yeah. I was also marvelling at Barcelona destroying Real Madrid 4-0 and part of me thinking... Isn't it surprising, or is it surprising, how quickly the fortunes of a team can be turned around? And, and Xavi's done that. With Jordi Cruyff as his sporting director, someone who Manchester United have shown an interest in in the past, and someone who hasn't ended up going to Manchester United, and they've signed well, they're fortunate. Xavi's clearly got a talent as a manager, but I was stunned. He absolutely battered Madrid, a very good Madrid team as well. They've got young players coming through. So the one positive I took from that was, could a team as big as Manchester United be turned around as, as quickly? Because it's only three months ago that Barcelona really were on the ropes. People were, were writing them off. And then I thought, probably not. <laughs> I thought there was going to be something inspirational coming there, Andy, and then you just, you just dropped off, yeah. So United now four points outside the top four. Arsenal have still got a game in hand. Spurs have caught up on games, but they've gone past us on points. So we're down in sixth place now. Um, fortunately, West Ham and Wolves seem to have lost form. So we look relatively safe there for the minute. But if you're unsure about any aspect of Champions League qualification and the exact picture, there is an article on The Athletic written by Luke Boucher at the moment with all the details on that. Um, for United as well, Laurie, beyond the sort of action in the FA Cup, and the Premier League. There wasn't much great news in the international call-ups either. Some high-profile emissions from big squads. Yeah, I was surprised at Jaden Sancho not being involved. Um, Me too. We, we heard Gareth Southgate talk about the likes that had been included. Saka, I think you're fair enough. You know, he's obviously in, in great form. Emil Smith-Rowe, he's had a, a good season, sort of goals and assists, but... Um, he's not been in Arsenal's team for a few weeks, has well, he? That, well, that's it. He's been coming off the bench, really, making that kind of impact. Um, so I, I would perhaps just... Yeah, I'd caution against the kind of names that he'd included over Jaden Sancho. But listen, it's Gareth Southgate's squad. He's obviously been around him uh, previously with England. So I, I do wonder if he's made a call on the kind of players that he thinks will absolutely carry out his instructions to a T. Um, I, I wonder if that's something to do with Marcus Rashford as well. I mean, clearly his form has not been, you know, warranting, I suppose, an England call up and I guess he can recharge his batteries um, during this international break, um, get away. I think he was over in Dubai, wasn't he, watching the was it the Eddie Hall and, and Thor Titan heavyweight clash, I think I saw him at. Um, what was that? <laughs> well, Eddie, Eddie Hall, uh, former world's strongest man from near enough Stoke, uh, okay. fa- fighting on 
uh, a sort of a tight and heavyweight clash with Thor, you know, the guy that was the mountain from Game of Thrones. Um, it wasn't the most uh, technical contest. Um, Eddie Hall sort of just was going for the big windmill one punch knockout attempts uh, and Thor kind of jabbed his head off. But these guys are big, you know, we're talking 22 stone and 24 stone. It, well, it was something to do with sport, you know, it was six rounds, three minutes. It was a sort of, I don't know, exhibition boxing boxing bout in Dubai. Oh, okay. So, yeah, no, it wasn't anything. I don't think there was a particular... Well, there was a belt on the line. They did have a belt afterwards. Um, but, yeah, that was... <laughs> it wasn't exactly something that I think you grow up dreaming to win uh, when you were a young kid. Uh, but listen, gone, it, isn't it? it was something to do. Um, so, I mean, and who listen, was there? Jaden Sancho? No, I think Marcus Rashford was, was with Brandon Williams out there in the stands oh, okay. uh, watching on. So, yeah, obviously Brandon Williams... We've interviewed him. He, he likes his boxing. Um, he's got a couple of cousins that are professional boxers, so he knows a thing or two about a jab and a hook and a, a straight right. But um, uh, but yes, yeah, so I think rather than you know be with England, I mean maybe a bit of time away from football might help Marcus Rashford sort of get his mind right. Um, but also David de Gea, you know, he's obviously been probably one of United's best players this season um, out of the Spain squad, and that's probably a uh, a comment by Luis Enrique on the fact that David de Gea is basically a shot stopper you know isn't really one that can play out from the back um Brentford's David Rea was called up instead which is quite a significant yeah. move I think um but well, no well, surprise to, to lose his first team place to someone like Unai Simon who's a, a top class goalkeeper I don't suppose is that much of a slap in the face but to be left out of the squad completely when you've got what Brighton and Brentford's goalkeepers ahead of you Andy is not a great look for David De Gea who's renowned as one of the best keepers going it's not a great look his stock dropped off massively in the World Cup finals in 2018 and he struggled to get that back um, in Spain for Manchester United it's been different uh, I think he's had a, a good season this year I think David De Gea as goalkeeper is not Manchester United's most most pressing issue at the moment I think a lot of the players they, they took off on holiday they were given time off um, Ralph Rangnick um, whereas most of his players headed east, Ralph headed west. He did not want to be bumping into his players. Uh, I got an invitation from a different football At the club. fourth fight, I presume he was he knew about that and he chose not to go. That, all that stuff Laurie's been talking about, the fight, that's just like code to me. I reckon he's like sending out subliminal messages <laughs> and what he's actually saying is Manchester United are signing Neymar and Mbappe um, on the first day of the transfer window. Um Interesting how football clubs work because some of them were out in Dubai this weekend and I got asked by one of them if I wanted to go out and inter- interview their manager and a couple of their, their senior players and this club are one of the great clubs of the world based in Italy and they've cut their wage bill massively and improved massively as well. So there is hope again if I'm looking for a best case scenario, I end up applying all this back to Manchester United, thinking, what is the way out of this mess? It can be done. But I didn't go because I like staying married. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, just going back to Rashford Laurie for a moment before we move on, what did you make of the incident after the Champions League exit and the apology that came after Ian Wright even got involved it just seemed all so unnecessary that really didn't it yeah I mean I often think that sometimes just leave it you don't need to say anything on social media after such an event you know um, tensions were obviously high after an exit I suppose Marcus Rashford's shown he cares by (laughs) kind of coming back at the fan I would probably say unnecessary on his behalf just try and walk on if you can Um, I don't think it didn't sound like the abuse in the video was was too um, 
severe, although I would probably wonder why somebody's staying behind after a game for such a long time to kind of heckle a, a player. Just Your own a, player as it's well. A, it's unnecessary, isn't it? Um, and obviously in the uh, sort of apology, I suppose, um, you know, uh, Marcus was talking about uh, a previous incident that he'd been, you know, uh, subjected to. So just all unsavoury, really. Um, and it's just the modern era, isn't it, where you've got people with camera phones all the time recording everything. Um, we've seen a few incidents actually with Ralph Ranick, haven't we, where he's posed for pictures outside of of uh, outside of Old Trafford after games, and fans have kind of put him on the spot with certain questions, and then he sort of responded to them, and it's all instantly online, and you can see it. And I, I don't know, I just kind of think it's all a little bit unsavoury. Um, I, I don't think any there's any problem really with um, you know players feeling annoyed after a game like that. You know, just you just don't want to see it really in public, do you? No, and the other thing I I always think is the sort of I think entitlement's probably a strong phrase, but that there is an expectation from fans that they will get an autograph or they will get a picture or they will get a signed shirt. The amount of banners now inside the stadium and placards saying "Please give me a shirt" is unbelievable. I mean, a few years ago there was none of that, Andy, was there? And and now the there sort of seems an expectation. Entitlement was probably a little strong, considering they are Manchester United fans and they are waiting a long time to try and speak to these players. But, I, I, yeah, after a, a game like that, there's sort of a sense that everyone just wants to go home. Yeah. I saw Laurie had, um, please can have your shirt, Varane, sign at a recent match. And it surprised me a bit because he's a journalist <laughs> and he was holding it up in, in the press box. I didn't think he liked Varane either. So Great player. <laughs> I think there's a few issues here. Um I've seen West Ham fans with a dildo going up to people outside games and getting pictures. I've seen fans, which is absolutely mental. After a game at Old Trafford, you get hundreds of fans waiting. And I think that's positive in so much as they they don't tend to be the fans who are going all the time. It tends to be like kids or people who are coming more to a game once in a while that they can actually see Manchester United players and Ralph Rangnick in real life. I think that is a good thing. I liked Marcus Rashford's reaction. It showed that he's human. I don't think he needed to put an apology out there. I just think there's too much of that. It's not necessary. That flash of, you know, come and talk to me about it, that's the real Marcus Rashford. If he wasn't pissed off with his performance and the result, then I'd be more worried about that. Fans are going to do that. And it only takes one comment out of this. Probably how many, lorry We walk past it all the time, don't we, after a match? There are hundreds of people there. Yeah. Someone's going to say something. And I don't mind that because sometimes players live in bubbles where everyone's coming up to them and blowing smoke up the backside. Don't mind if sometimes there's a comment which catches them. And I didn't mind Marcus Rashford's reaction to it either. I did mind his apology. I just thought, why are you even doing this? You don't need to do this. You don't have to cover for every little sidestep that you do or misstep you do in life. You're human. You're not a saint. You're going to react in ways that you don't. Um, you might later regret. And fans were annoyed after the game last week. Everyone was annoyed. We were annoyed. The players were annoyed. Probably a fair result. We spoke on this podcast after the first leg. United were terrible. United got what they deserved. And if that means a, a couple of mild comments of, of criticism after a game from fans and a bit of pushback against that, I've got no issue with it. 
Okay, just a reminder then, you can subscribe to The Athletic for just £1 a month for the first six months. Go to theathletic.com forward slash Man United pod. You get full access, of course, to all our great Manchester United writing and ad-free versions of all The Athletic's podcasts, including this one. That's theathletic.com forward slash Man United pod. Sign up now. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com courtside to learn more. Okay, squad assessment time, as we've been talking about. Not a great deal left to play for in the season for Manchester United, just the fight for the top four. But one thing that our players are playing for now is their futures. Of course, Manchester United on the lookout for a manager. And it seems like just about every level and everything in the club is being judged and is being taken stock of at the minute. So that's exactly what we're going to do over the course of the next couple of podcasts. We're going to take a look at the state of the squad and discuss each position and each player exactly what we think is going to happen with them and obviously discuss the situations around each of them as well. So we're going to start with goalkeepers, Andy. Um, We've mentioned David De Gea before losing his place in the Spain squad, so if Luis Enrique is the choice for Manchester United, I guess De Gea won't be sleeping very easily. But barring that, he's pretty safe, isn't he? He's been great this season, like we've been saying. Yeah, from my understanding is that uh, later on this year... um, Talks will begin about another contract. I see no reason why that wouldn't be signed. He's done a lot more media this year, which is good. He's a senior player in the squad. He's got a much stronger voice in the squad. He's quite critical, actually. People would be surprised at some of the, some of the issues that he's got. But I think he's Manchester United's number one. Uh, what else will happen? Um, Dean Henderson, I wouldn't be surprised if he left to be a number one, which means Manchester United will bring in a number two. Uh, Tom Heaton, I'm told he's a, a very good pro. Um, but maybe not number two. Uh, there's some very talented young goalkeepers at Manchester United, but they're not ready to play uh, first-team football. If United are heading into the Europa League, as it's looking more probable, then it's far more probable that the number two will be getting first-team football in that competition as well, just like Sergio Romero did. Yeah, Laurie, I think De Gea we can leave there, really. But But Dean Henderson, it's not been a season that he would have expected this really, considering he'd pushed his way into being almost the Manchester United number one at this stage of last season. Yeah, you think back to those games away to Spurs, 3-1, when he was coming off his line and, and stopping those long balls over to Son and Harry Kane. Uh, you think about the 2-0 away to Man City, um, which was a really good performance. You think about the 1-0 away to AC Milan. You know, th- These are kind of big games that he's been a part of. And OK, you know, it was closed doors games, wasn't it? So perhaps you, know, you still have a question mark over that kind of 
ability to perform in a, in a heated atmosphere like that but you know he did it for Sheffield United in a relegation situation so um, and a promotion situation uh, so yeah I do think that he will assess his options in the summer he's on a very good contract at Manchester United which might preclude some of the clubs that would be interested in signing him from doing so it's going to have to have some negotiation I think on that if he was to leave um, but clearly he would have wanted to play a lot more this season I guess he's been a little bit hostage to fortune in that last summer he was the guy that I think United were going to start the season with um, but then he gets Covid and that just set him back De Gea comes in and doesn't really relinquish the gloves from that point on you know it almost flipped a little bit when it, David De Gea got his positive test ahead of the Spurs games and it, it looked like it was going to be Dean Henderson in goal for that and then it turned out to be a, a false positive or you know <laughs> De Gea got rid of the COVID quickly, I don't know, but you know, and then he's in goal. So that was the the one chance, I suppose, for Dean Henderson to have a real big game, real big moment, um, and it was ultimately taken away from him. So, yeah, there's going to be clubs in the summer that definitely will look at goalkeepers in the Premier League. You've got a guy there that's proven that he can do it at a very high level. Clubs will be interested. It's just the cost of the transfer fee and then the wages as well. So it will be an interesting one to watch develop over the summer. Okay, let's move on to the fullbacks then, because. There's probably quite a lot to discuss in this particular position as well because it's so uncertain who is even the first choice right back or left back at the minute, Laurie. Um, could we sort of go through them and, and say whether you think their future's secure or whether United are looking for, for new players in either of those positions? Yeah, um, I think Diogo Dalot's had a, a good season. Certainly his best season for Manchester United. He's still only young, I think 22. Um, so you'd hope that there's growth there for him. Um, whether or not he's actually elite level, I'm still yet to be convinced. Um, his time with Portugal will be beneficial, I think, at least. He's obviously had time at the Euros where he's, he's got that kind of experience testing himself against you know the proper top opposition. Um, so I think he's one that you could perhaps keep and go, OK, he's a good alternative you know, um, for whoever the number one right-back might be. Aaron Wan-Bissaka has obviously been that for sort of two and a half seasons, but he just hasn't kicked on in the way that United would have hoped. Um, he's clearly very good one-on-one, but going forwards, some of the instructions that I think he's told, they're not really taken on board. And you look at the transfer fee, £50 million, for £50 million as a right-back, they should be the real deal. You look at Kyle Walker at Manchester City, that's basically what they signed him for. And he's been, you know, one of the premier fullbacks in the world, really, for sort of four or five seasons. Um, left back, Luke Shaw, I think he carries the ball like nobody else, possibly, in the United team. Um, those surging runs that he can do from left back position, really useful. But then there's been times this season where he's let himself down defensively, playing people on side, perhaps being a little bit too rushed in going to try and win a ball over on the opposite flank and leaving the back post unmarked, you know, for goals at Newcastle and Everton. So, um, yeah, there's, but, I, but I do like Luke Shaw. I think he speaks well. I think he's got a good mind on him and he wants the best for himself and the club. You know, I think he's a good person. Um, Alex Tellers, I think, has done pretty well also as an alternative, gets a good delivery in. Again, not, not elite ability, though, I don't think. You know, you look at the full-backs at, at Man City, OK, perhaps you'd even question some of those, but they, they do... They know exactly what they're they're doing in, in in Pep Guardiola's team, and Liverpool clearly are kind of setting the bar for what fullbacks can achieve in in world football. So I just think United's fullbacks aren't at that level. I don't know what Andy or, or yourself think. Yeah, I agree with much much of what you say. The bar's set high, not just by Liverpool but by Manchester City and Chelsea as well. They've got better fullbacks. Fullbacks has become a really important position in modern day football. Wan-Bissaka has regressed. 
Uh, Diogo Delot has had a very encouraging season. Is he at the level of the, the fullbacks at rival clubs? Not yet at the moment, but he's still very young and I think he should definitely be kept on. Uh, Luke Shaw, I, I echo a lot of what you say. He's not had a great season, but he's a, he's a decent attacking left-back in the main. Tellez, yeah, he's a 7 out of 10 player, isn't he? he does some, some of his crosses are absolutely fantastic, but you need a 9 out of 10 player in, in, in that position. So it's indicative of a lot of areas of Manchester United squad, actually. And you would say that when wan came in, the signing was greeted optimistically by people like myself and by a lot of other Manchester United fans. I saw how brilliant he was uh, for Crystal Palace several times against Manchester United and... He was, he's been good, 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 but this season he's, he's totally regressed and we don't know what he's thinking because he barely speaks. So it's, it's quite a confused area. Yeah, centre-half then. Difficult to know what to make of this really because United have invested a lot in this particular position and I don't think the future of Harry Maguire or Raphael Varane or Victor Lindorf is in question, Laurie. I don't know what you think about that, but it doesn't feel to me like there's any doubt that those three, despite maybe mixed fortunes this season, are not going to be here next year? No, they'll all be here for sure. Um, it's just what combination plays most frequently. Um, clearly, Harry Maguire's been under immense scrutiny this season. His form hasn't been at its best. Looked uncertain in the Atletico game with David De Gea behind him. Um, and that's something to be try and resolve. I mean, it, it had looked like it would he was the guy, you know, that United could actually build their defence around, I think, for a couple of seasons. But the high line is, is a difficult thing. If, if United do want to play that kind of style with a sort of high-pressing game, can Harry Maguire fit into that? It's a, it's a question mark. Rafael Varane has shown really good anticipation and um, speed, clearly, across the ground. But then, is he reliable to play the amount of games that you need a centre-back to play each season? You know, he's obviously had these muscle injuries. Um, there's questions about his knee problems that he's had in the past. Um, and Victor Lindelof, maybe his, his his reputation perhaps is the one that's come out of this season enhanced in that when he's been called upon, he's done pretty well, I think. Um, I could be wrong. You, Andy might point out a, a match where he's had an absolute nightmare and I've, I've forgotten it. Um, but I kind of feel like they... Um, that, that he's done okay. There is that stat though, isn't there, about Harry Maguire and, and Rafael Varane, the matches that they've started and finished. I don't think they'd lost until um, Atletico. So, although I suppose Harry Maguire didn't finish that game, so maybe the stat still stands. What about the others? What about Eric Bailly and Phil Jones? There's probably a, a, a quite a big question mark over them, isn't there? I wouldn't be surprised if both of them left the club. They both want to play football. Uh, Bailly was back at his old club, Espanyol. Uh, over the weekend I think if, you, if you're in his position you want to be playing the problem if you call it a problem is they earn too much money and clubs cannot afford to take them out away from Manchester United so this is an age-old issue how much do United subsidise the wages United's point of view on that is if they if they don't sell a player and they loan a player uh, if they're subsidising too much then the onus is on the club who's loaned the player not to play them as much, whereas if the club have really had to pay a lot to get someone like Bay in on loan, then they're gonna gonna pay play the player a lot. I think Varane is a is a world class defender. I'm disappointed that he's not been able to be selected as often this season as I would have hoped. I'm hoping for a good second season. I think he's a he's a leader without being a vocal leader. I think he should be the number one central defender. Maguire's had an awful season. He's become a scapegoat, unfortunately for him. 
if we would have been speaking a year ago, we would have been far, far more positive about Harry Maguire. Um, there's some ease within the team. That's clear to see. Uh, and, and Harry Maguire either plays his way out of that because I can't see him leave him. Uh, Lindelof, I think, is a good player. I think he's well-rated within the club for, for, for a good reason. We shouldn't forget Axel Twanzeby. He's not had a good season either. He's gone to Napoli. He's he's not playing. And we might see the rise of, of someone like Ted and Ted and Mengi. But looking at it now, it seems to be Varane plus, plus one more. Yeah, I wanted to mention the lone players, Laurie, before we moved on. Um, because like Andy mentioned there, there's, there's Mengi and Twanzeby who've both maybe got a shot possibly uh, more Mengi than Twanzebi considering the opportunities he's had already. And of course, Brandon Williams as well, out at Norwich. Not a centre-half, obviously, but it, it rounds up the defensive um, area to talk about a player who is on loan as well. So do you think any of those three get a chance of, of coming back and being first-team players next year? They'll have a look at them in pre-season, won't they? Um, possibly Brandon Williams. I mean, obviously, he's done it for a season already. Um and I think he will have been enhanced by the experience at Norwich. I know it's not been a great one, but whenever I've seen him, he, he seems to play with absolute commitment. It's not like his head's dropped and he's sort of given up the situation. Um, but then again, he has had that opportunity and United have, have sort of made a call on him. So I wonder whether they'll think actually this is a good summer to sell him or whether he thinks, no, I want to stay and fight for my place at Man United. And listen, it's not like they've got full-backs that are tearing it up, have they? So, um, you know, I wouldn't mind seeing how he fares against them in, in certain pre-season friendlies that will obviously go on tour, won't they, in the summer? So it's a bit different than it has been in the last two pre-seasons where it's kind of been just squeeze the matches in if you can, whereas this one actually will be a case where I think a manager can look at the players that he's got at his disposal and, and make some kind of changes. Um, yeah, Twan Zabi, I think it probably is the time to see if you can get some kind of fee for him. And Ted Mengi, highly rated when he was uh, much younger. I think he's perhaps plateaued a little bit, but you know you can't give up the ghost on him just yet because he's a really smart guy. Okay, this is the last area that we're going to talk about on this podcast and we'll speak about the more attacking positions on the next one, Andy. Um Defensive midfielder feels like it's been a priority in the transfer market for Manchester United uh, forever, almost. Um, this year, in recent times, it's been Nemanja Matic, it's been Scott McTominay, it's been Fred, and for various reasons and varying reasons, um, each of them haven't quite been able to nail that position and, and be relied upon every single match in that position. Is this almost the biggest priority for United in the defensive positions for this summer transfer window? A lot of fans would say, but a new manager might see it totally differently. And it's the manager's shout. It's not our shout. It's not the fan shout. Uh, Matic, despite having some obvious qualities and having some decent games in the last month, he's not Manchester United's future. Um, Fred, well, I'm smiling for the first time in this podcast. He's been good, hasn't he? Not in defensive midfield, though. No, that's an issue. <laughs> um, McTominay... It, Technically, he's not one of the best in that position in the world, but I, I absolutely think you keep players like that at the club. Yes. He's got a, a lot to give. But you see Manchester United linked with players like Declan Rice all the time for a reason. And you saw teams like Atletico Madrid cutting through Manchester United right through the centre midfield with three or four passes. And you see why people have discussions like that. Rice will be one who's linked, but you've got a situation now where West Ham don't need the money now. West Ham are actually doing really, really well. West Ham could get to the Europa League final this year. There'd be a premium for the Britishness of it. I know that there are people at United who liked uh, 
um, Declan Rice. But again, some of them have left. What if a new manager comes in? Might think he's the worst player ever. So, so much is, is up in the air. And this is why uh, a manager needs to be appointed relatively soon because recruitment for next season is, is really important. Paul Pogba has played in a more defensive role at, at times. He's, he's someone who Man United cannot be planning a future around either. No, and we'll talk about him definitely on the next one. Laurie, what do you think? Do you think defensive midfielder will be United's biggest priority in the summer transfer window or is it is it probably a striker considering the issues that we've got there? They're the two, aren't they? I think it, it's debatable with striker and central midfielder now, weirdly, after the start of the season that United had. But yeah, I think striker will be high on the list. But defensive midfielder has been an issue that United have needed to solve for a long, long time. Nemanja Matic was the one that they signed how many years ago was it now? Five, six. And he, if he was, you know, mid-twenties, you'd be saying they've got the position on lock, no problem. You know, passing range and discipline that he's got. Um, but clearly he's not the guy that you can build a midfield around right now. And United have, have desperately needed to have somebody that's a specialist in that role that can just help dictate the pace of a game and, and step in when needed to. Um, so, yeah, I would say that that is something that they need to sort ASAP. Because as we've seen, you know, Fred... You know, we perhaps thought was that guy, but actually no, he's he's much better. We've seen as a number eight, as getting forward. You know, Fredondo, that that back heel against Atletico Madrid, some of the tricks and flicks that he's produced. Actually, you know, perhaps give him a bit of an opportunity to show what he can do, and and he can flourish a little bit. So I think he's he's shown that he's actually a really valuable player. Perhaps not as a guaranteed starter every week, but at least in certain specific games. I think I read the other day that he'd got more assists in the Premier League than any other midfielder in the calendar year of 2022 yeah. so far, which is incredible. They're not strictly defensive midfielders, but I think we should round off some of the lone players at this point as well, because one of them had a great weekend, really, despite his team's result. Andreas Pereira, Andy, we've spoken about before. I don't think he's got much of a future at Old Trafford. Um, but James Garner might. And again, another display for Nottingham Forest in the FA Cup to Liverpool. A very narrow defeat, an unlucky defeat in many senses. He enhanced his reputation in that game, didn't he? Absolutely. Um, Andreas is... is- very happy playing in Brazil. He's Brazilian, but had never lived there until he, he, he played with um, Flamengo now, who are a huge club. Uh, James Garner, really good season at Nottingham Forest. People were not saying that at the start of this season. People were criticising him for not going to a, a better club. But Forest have, have been ascendant and it, Roy Keane was praising him with good reason. And I think... I'd like to think that he's got a good a good future. Does the new manager come in and see something and think, right, I'm going to go with him? Does it does he make that bold move? He's 21 years old now. When I've asked about him, I've always been told good things about him. Just that he's working his way up through the loans, if that makes sense. So next season, rather than go to a team doing well in the championship, he goes to an Aston Villa, for example. Or does the manager just come in and go, no, I'm going to start playing him now. And he thrives to that. It, it, we can't see what's going to happen there. But I think he, his, his stock is, is, is really good at the moment. OK, well, that's the defensive positions looked at then in the Manchester United squad. On the next podcast, we're going to be taking a look at the attacking side. Lots and lots to talk about on that particular aspect, of course, including that search for a striker that Laurie teased a moment ago. But we also want your views on this as well. So look out for a post on the real-time section of the Athletic app in the coming days, asking you for your views on the playing squad. And of course, we'll read out some of the best on the podcast later this week. 
Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Right, before we finish, about three weeks ago, Andy Mitten came on the podcast and told us all about a fantastic trip that he'd taken to the coast in Spain. It took him all of seven hours to get there. He made it out like it was a real trek across the country. When he got there, he met up with a former Manchester United winger, a man that made us all excited in the early 1990s with his brilliant play and his swinging hip goal celebrations. You might have heard of it, the Sharpie Shuffle. He told us about this amazing chat that he had with him. He said he had drinks in his bar, which he turned down. He didn't turn them down. He said he wanted coffee. He didn't have coffee. He drank beer. And he spoke with Lee Sharp all afternoon. He told us it was a brilliant piece that we can check it out on The Athletic right now. And then afternoon came and evening came and the following day. And there was no sign of this piece. And then the next podcast came and Andy came on again and told us once more about this fantastic article and this brilliant interview with a former Manchester United great in Lee Sharp. He even offered a money-back guarantee that it was definitely going to drop following that podcast. And lo and behold, the afternoon came, the evening came, the following day came, and there was still no sign of the Lee Sharp interview. But can I get a hallelujah? Because Lee Sharp is live. Andy, you actually did it after all. <laughs> it's the moment we've all waited for. And it's actually I'm quite impressed. good as well. I'm impressed by, by your words there. <laughs> a, a couple of points of contention. I never said it was a really good piece. I said Lee was good. There's a big difference. If I'm bigging up my own interview, that, that's not a good thing. He was a good talker and I think um, it came across well and I looked at the the reaction to it and I think People needed a bit of Lee Sharp after the week that we've had. Just took them back to a happier place. On a more serious note, he talked up the importance of a captain and what a good captain should do. I found that really interesting, as well as his own memories and his time on Love Island and stuff like that. But we caught him in in a good place at a good time and so many fans who've probably read too much about the class of 92 were like I loved Lee Sharp I absolutely loved him and Lee was fair game with it when we did the interview I said I was with him I said what are your favourite memories and we, we had 500 responses so that was an example of social media being used well so yeah I'm, I'm glad it's all out there and obviously I offered a refund and so come and meet me outside Old Trafford before the next game and I'll give you a full <laughs> refund to your athletic subscription yeah the, the only sort of caveat to that is he's going to offer refunds in line with the current offer which is £1 a month for the first six months go to the uh, athletic.com forward slash Man United pod for that Laurie um, it's actually quite good though isn't it Andy won't say it himself but after all this it's been worth the build up absolutely it's, it's lovely light it's kind of an engaging read on what footballers do after retirement as well you know like this idea that 
you know, he's on mountains of money and he's, you know, can do whatever he wants. It was kind of a bit more real than that, wasn't it? And, and the doubts that he had about opening his own bar and putting his name to it, the kind of real life stuff, really, that I was quite interested in. But then you got, yeah, the fandom, the kind of mystical element of it where you're putting out that tweet and he's getting, you've got, you know, loads of fans sort of saying their favourite moments. And I, I must imagine that would be quite nice, even at this stage in his in his life, for him to sort of see that reaction. Yeah, I, I think it was it was good for him. I think you can look at it two ways you don't just want to be remembered as a human about what you did 30 years ago because you've still got the rest of your life to live. But he's got something. Roy Keane really likes Lee Sharp. I thought his his criticism and praise of Sir Alex Ferguson was was interesting because he's entitled to that point of view and it's very much against the grain. Um, and, and he felt that Ferguson could have dealt with him in, in, in a much better way. But yeah, he, he didn't have money when he arrived in Spain. He had a bit of money from a house that he'd sold and... I, f- I found being there in person very interesting because he had people coming up to him. I am mate. Great to see you. Have a beer. Brilliant. And I'm thinking, oh, they're your best mates. When did you meet them? It's like last night. And and also seeing fans being really critical of players and Lee being defensive of other players, I found that quite interesting. Is like, you just said that you hate that player. Why do you hate him? You've never met him. You don't know him because because he's not just done something on a football pitch that you're watching having, having drank six pints. Hate's a really strong word. So I felt that he'd had that in the past, people coming up to him. And also celebrity, I found it quite interesting where he's talking about, he hears stuff about himself, even the good stuff, which was completely inaccurate. And there's nothing he could do to control that. And like, oh, I've seen you in that club a few weeks ago. Brilliant, one. Like, I've never been there in my life. Never been there. So yeah, I think face-to-face interviews could can, can work. And obviously, I travelled across the earth to meet Lee, and um, it was worth it. Hopefully. Speaking of inaccuracies, I need to hold my hands up here, lads. Oh no! You know how earlier I said that Marcus Rashford and Brandon Williams were at the. Eddie Hall versus Thor boxing match. Yeah, and we talked about it at length and it became quite a large section of the podcast. Yeah, well, listen, on. it was a fight it was a fight that I watched, so I could rely on my own, you know, knowledge to kind of give you some colour from that event. Actually, the boxing the boxing card they were at was Sonny Edwards uh, defending his IBF World Flyweight title. That was also in Dubai. It was at some <laughs> other stadium in Dubai at the same time. Regis Progre, really good boxer. That he was on the undercard. So sorry. They were at a different boxing. Bout. So they actually went to watch boxing as opposed to some sort of exhibition of yeah, sport-ish. Yeah. yeah, so apologies for that. I'm sorry. I was flicking between... My mates were saying that they were at the boxing. I was watching that and I was watching the UFC that was in London, which was a fantastic card, by the way. Um, and I got confused. <laughs> You're trying to, make, trying to give it some credibility. <laughs> over anything he's told us about this weekend. You, you said you did a 10K this weekend, Laurie, yeah? You, you sure? Or am I going to call you Laurie 9K? 9.2. You'll have to check my Strava, won't you, just to see. Need hard evidence. <laughs> yeah, and, and this trip that you had to Stockport, are you sure you went there? I'm pretty sure. There was a few bevies involved, so the, the exact <laughs> memories are a little bit hazy, but I'm pretty sure that's where I was. I, I've missed, actually. I've not had a picture of you drinking a cocktail for quite some weeks. There's not been people sending in any drinks chat either for us. Um, you had a lovely cocktail at a little little soiree the other week, didn't you? An Avro, nice. Yeah, yeah, I was going to say, I'm glad you remember the name of it because I've forgotten it already. Uh, and you knew exactly the ingredients of it, which I was astounded by. Well, I drank it before, to be fair. It was in a bar near where I used to live in Manchester. And the Avro, um, Avro if people don't know, is a, a company that made planes um, years and years and years ago, probably during the, the Second World War um, and became quite a famous name in Manchester, there's, there's amateur football teams named after them. There was a giant 
uh, Avro factory on, on Greengate in North Manchester as well. And there's an Avro factory just near where that bar was that you went in Elnacott. Um, so that's why the name was fairly memorable for me anyway. Ah, well, I was loving that because I was sending the group, Talk of the Devil's WhatsApp group, the latest cocktail that I was enjoying, uh, and you came straight back with the the list of ingredients. Was it, was it gin, rum? What was it? I can't remember. <laughs> uh, no, it was bourbon. It's a bourbon-based bourbon. one, isn't it? There we go. It was very nice. In fact, Avro on Greengate in North Manchester, my auntie Olive used to tell stories about when she was a little girl and she could see planes flying over uh, during the Second World War and dropping bombs, aiming for uh, Avro because it was such a big a big place where, where the planes were built. Um Unfortunately, she had Alzheimer's in in later life, but she had she could remember that particular incident in great detail and would talk about it a lot, which must have been incredibly scary for for a young a young girl. Now we're talking about planes in Manchester. We should and Avro are a non-league team. You're quite right. We should mention non-league day at the weekend. Go and support your your local non-league team. That's really important. And I think later on in the week we might discuss United Women's team uh, as well. And. In Woodford at the aerodrome there, the Vulcan bombers used to take off from there. So there's there's quite an interesting um, aeronautical history around Manchester. We can, Just tell me to stop now because I'll just get really carried away with it. <laughs> Stadium spotting, plane spotting. <laughs> have you ever been plane spotting? Yeah, I have. I took my little brother to Manchester Airport. The Ringway Pub? No, there's, there's an airport viewing part there and there's one of the old Concords there as well. And I used him as a cover because he didn't want to go. He was like eight at the time. And I thought, no, I'll be able to go down. It was just full of seven free sevens going to Tenerife. And then when a big one comes in, you get all like the air geeks. I think they might be called air geeks. I don't know. Taking notes of it. <laughs> just name but them. When yeah. there was that storm recently, I was definitely one of the people watching um, the big jet TV. Yeah, on, on Twitter, my wife was glued to that for about two hours. <laughs> So there's actually a viewing platform, Andy. I mean, I've heard of the Ringway pub where people are going to have a pint in the beer garden and watch the planes land. There's a viewing platform as well. I don't know if a Manchester airport will let me in anymore because I was very critical of them last week because it took three uh, hours yeah. to, to get through the airport. And then I think Gary Neville retweeted me and then the Independent and the BBC News were on to me asking for permission to use, use my pictures. Laurie, any messages for the Manchester airport uh, executives? Well, weirdly, I've had a pretty slick journey. I uh, went to Rome, obviously, okay. recently, and went to Madrid recently, and it was, it was fine. But at my nephew's uh, third birthday party, which I was at yesterday, which definitely happened, I've got a fresh memory right in my mind. It 100% was the case that I was there. My cousins were saying that they'd had an absolute nightmare time at Manchester Airport as well, so it's obviously a recurring issue. We need to speak to Ringway executives to find out exactly uh, exactly the, the feedback that they've been getting to see if Andy and Laurie's stories were correct. Well... What do I say now? I think I should say goodbye to you. That's come very random at the end of the podcast. Um, We are going to be with you guys, of course, right throughout the international break. Now we've got another podcast later on in the week where we will be talking about Manchester United's women's team, like Andy said before, because they've got a big game making history, playing in front of fans at Old Trafford this weekend for the first time. So we'll talk about that on the next podcast. We'll also be back, of course, with our stock check on the attacking positions in Manchester United squad. That'll be later on in the week. And then, of course, next week we're here as well. So stay tuned to Talk of the Devils. We're going nowhere despite Manchester United not playing football matches. Don't forget, you can subscribe to The Athletic for just £1 a month for the first six months. Just go to theathletic.com forward slash Man United pod. Andy and Laurie, thank you for being with us. And we're all off now to write our strongly worded letters to the bosses at Manchester Airport. See you next time. Bye-bye.
Athletic.